title of the message is Laying Down on the Altar and Getting Up Again. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is how to be a living sacrifice, by the way. We're going to look at two scriptures. I'll need you to stand with me, please. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 in your right hand and Romans chapter 12 in your left. So we'll actually read these two together. It's actually three verses. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 first, verses 14 and 15. <clears throat> All right, we're starting in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Together we will read verses 14 and 15. All right, let's begin. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge, that if one died for all, then we're all dead, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Let's go to Romans now, chapter 12, verse 1. Romans 12, 1, together. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Let's pray. Father, as we look in these two portions of Scripture, the, the challenge is clear that if you died for all, and we're all messed up, we're all in need of a Savior, and that if we've believed, if we've been given eternal life, how we live now matters. But we can't live it. We've got to diet. We've got to be a living sacrifice, Father. And it's beyond us to understand that. So you showed us plenty of examples in the Bible. You gave us one perfect one this morning. I pray that we would listen and not only learn, but live what we hear this morning. Bless your people with your word. But May somebody in here who is still staying back, still holding back, realize there is no hope without the resurrection, and there is no resurrection without faith in the one who got up from the grave. I pray somebody believes with all their heart that Jesus did it all for them, and they would be saved, and they would live for you from this day forward. The rest of us, I pray, God, we would just have a revival in our heart because of the resurrection. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Thank you. All right. I don't know if you realize it or not, but the concept of the resurrection and the events of the resurrection and even the resurrected life are found throughout the pages of the Bible from start to finish. Because the Bible means nothing if there is no life after death and no life from the dead. If God can't handle the grave, then He really can't handle the biggest problems in our life, which are fear and death. Now, the Christian who claims to believe in the resurrection, and you can't be saved if you don't believe that Jesus got up. You can be religious all you want, but if you don't believe He's alive, you're not saved. But the Christian who believes in the resurrection must accept the fact that they have been given a second chance to live differently than they used to, believe, used to live before they believed. And that is our challenge this morning because Romans 12.1 calls us to live as living sacrifices which is exactly what a young man named Isaac learned to do himself. Go to Hebrews now, Hebrews chapter 11. And 
we'll see the New Testament commentary on Isaac's faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17, 18, and 19. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17. By faith Abraham, when he was tried, when he was tested, when he was put to the test, he offered up Isaac. He that had received all those promises, he offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, that in Isaac shall thy seed be called. Accounting, that means thinking it through and adding everything up, he accounting that God was able to raise Isaac up, raise him up, even from the dead from whence also he received him in a figure. So now Isaac does not die, if you know the story, and Isaac doesn't get resurrected, but it is a figure, it is an illustration, it's an example, it's a shadow of the reality of what Christ would go through. So, Hebrews chapter 11 refers back to Genesis 22, where God had made several big promises to Abraham. One was that he was going to have a lot of land. It's called the promised land. He was going to have lots of children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren. He was going to have as many children as the sand of the sea and the stars of the sky. That's a big promise. And it was all going to be not through Ishmael, the easy child he had, but through the impossible birth of Isaac, he was going to have all of those children. And even better than that, God promised that the whole world would be blessed through Isaac. Now, what's the best about it all? God can make all the promises in the world, but if you don't believe it, it does you no good. Do you believe the promises? A lot of people believe in Jesus, but they never asked him to save them. It never said, you know, Lord, I believe it enough that it'll work for me. So Abraham believed all those promises that they would all come true. But then God said, I got to test you. You know, it's easy to believe anything when it's not been tested. When I was in the States, uh, my son Joshua, uh, we were at this park and there was this swing there. And so the swing looked sturdy, looked strong, looked fun. So Joshua ran over and said, uh, uh, I'm going to swing on it. And you know, when you want to swing the swing, you got to push it back. Anyway, he jumped on it and he began to swing and it went, <laughs> it had not been tested for a while. And so he jumped off of it, you know, it looked safe, but it wasn't. So it's easy to believe in something until it's been tested. And if you know anything about Genesis 22, God asks Abraham, do you really believe me? because I need to throw a monkey wrench into your faith, into what you think you believe, because when I gave you Isaac, now I'm asking for him back. So how Abraham and Isaac responded to that test is our lesson this morning about the faith of the resurrection, because I know how I would respond. If I was Abraham, I would say, wait a minute, Lord. You told me Isaac was going to give me lots of grandchildren. Now you're telling me he's got to die? I can't sacrifice my own son. I couldn't face the fact if he died. But see, Abraham's not me. Abraham went ahead and prepared to sacrifice his only son out of worship and obedience to God. There in verse 17, it says it real clear. He offered up, the end of the verse, he offered up his only begotten son. Now, what if you were Isaac? <laughs> what if you're the son? 
I know what I would say if I was the son. I'd say, Dad, uh, something's wrong here. Uh, I love you, but something doesn't seem right. Uh, I'm not getting on that altar. Things die on the altar. Okay, you got to put your feet in the shoes of these guys. When they lived by faith, they really lived it. But Isaac, as you know the story, he got up on that stone altar. He surrendered his hands and his feet to the tying of those ropes. And then he laid down still, not panicking, not flinching, not moving, just watching his dad. Now, how could Abraham do such a thing? How could he offer up his son? Just realize this. God doesn't just ask anyone to do such a thing when he asked Abraham to go through this. There are about, and I've counted, I probably can find 50 big reasons why God asked Abraham to do this. It wasn't just for Abraham, it was for Isaac. And it wasn't just for Abraham and Isaac, it was for us. The things that were written aforetime were written for our learning. So whatever's going on is there's a bigger picture than just Abraham and Isaac. None of it was cruel. And I got, I got news for you. When God asks something hard of you, let me tell you, it is for a purpose and it's not possible for you always to understand it. Like Abraham and Isaac, you're going to have to learn to trust them. So God puts very extreme things, knowing that he'll never ask of you that extreme, but he tries to show even in the extreme, you can trust him, amen, because he's a good God. So how could Abraham do such a thing? Because he loved God. Why, why do we do things so, so crazy sometimes, so risky? Because we love. Because he obeyed God. He actually believed God would keep all of his promises, even when none of it makes sense. made sense. It was then that Abraham not only believed in the resurrection, but got to experience it. Paul writes in Philippians 3.10, I just want to know Jesus and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. So he was willing to live like a madman. When, when one day he's preaching outside of Iconium and Lystra, and he's preaching in one of the villages in the towns there, and they stone him to death. And... His disciples drag him out, well, not his disciples, but the people drag him outside the city and leave him for dead. I knew she had Rodell's voice. <laughs> yeah, boy. Mommy's looks, daddy's voice. Wow. They drew, they dragged him out of the city and left him for dead. Everybody else around him, when they, when they, or sitting around looking at him going, what are we going to do? Are we going to bury him? He wakes up, and he gets up, and he says, let's go back in the city. He was a crazy man by our normal standards of putting himself at risk. Why would he do that? He says, because I'm going to get up again. And he enjoyed the Christian life because he knew death was never the end for him. Abraham experienced that. And when Isaac got off of that altar, it was probably... And Abraham had a great experience when Isaac was born. That's why they called him laughter, because both Abraham and Sarah laughed and laughed their heads off in joy. But watching Isaac get off of that altar and not have to die, I bet you Abraham was happier. <laughs> wow. Folks, believing in the resurrection is hard. It was hard for Abraham to believe it. Martha and Mary had lost Lazarus, and Jesus comes four days late. They didn't want to believe it. 
And I find it that many people today find it hard to accept or believe in our intelligence society. Most people believe that when a person dies, that that's it. It's over. Finite. Well, the resurrection is the only hope we have, folks. When nothing else makes sense, the resurrection gets us through. Because if Jesus rose from the dead, we have a new life ourselves. If he can raise from the dead, then I can be not just resurrected in the future, but I have new life, eternal life right now. So let's go to Genesis 22 with all that to say. An example of the living sacrifice. Genesis chapter 22. Because just believing in the resurrection will do you only so much good until you live it. Genesis chapter 22. So let's start off here. And let's look at how God tests Abraham. Verse 20, chapter 22, verse 1. It came to pass after these things that God did tempt. Now, tempt is a good word. It means God pushed, pulled. God didn't leave Abraham in his, in his place, just in a comfort zone. And if you've ever been tempted by sin, you know what it's like where there's that pull, where there's that debate. But God doesn't tempt Abraham to sin, but he does put him to the test where there's a pull, where there's a problem, where there's a, what do I do here? So God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham. Abraham said back, behold, here I am. <laughs> so far so good. Verse 2, and he said, take now thy son, Lord is the three words, thine only son, Isaac, whom thou lovest. And get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him therefore a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. Now, I'll be honest with you. Testing is the most unpleasant part of the Christian life, but it is the Christian life. First Peter chapter 4. Hold in your place here. I've got to show you this. I won't take you to too many side scriptures, but this one I need to show you. First Peter chapter 4 and verse 12. 1 Peter chapter 4 in verse 12. If I asked you to raise your hands, I think you, and if I said, tell me if often, not just a few times, but often the Christian life is beyond you. I bet most everybody would raise their hands. It's, it's just hard. The, 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 the situations we find ourselves in are not what we would expect. We'll look at our Bible, 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 12. Beloved, who's he talking to? 1 Peter 4 12. He's talking to the brethren, he's talking to Christians, talking to believers. He says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are, by that trial, ye are partakers now of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. So when, when something comes against you, when when the floor falls out underneath you, when nothing makes sense, don't think it is unusual. Because one day you'll look back and you will laugh and go, ooh, it was worth it. Now back to our lesson here. God is testing Abraham. If any good teacher tests his students to see if they're understanding what he's teaching. I know nobody likes testing, but it is a necessary part of learning. And people who hate the testing and hate the troubles of a Christian life, do not believe in a good God. 
They believe God is only angry with them and punishing them. No. When God brings trial into your life, when God brought a test into Abraham's life, was Abraham living in sin, yes or no? No, he was not. So when we have a test in our life, it's not because God's being cruel. We're going to have to move out of that and go, no, God's good. My problem is when I'm upset at God for putting me through a test, it's because I'm only interested in my happiness. That's all I'm worshiping, and that is not right. That is an idol. So God calls Abraham to offer his only son, Isaac. Go to a small hill called Mount Moriah to a specific spot that he would show him. He'd say, I want you to go to Moriah. There's a little region there called the Hills of Moriah, and I'll show you exactly where to do it. I got a question for you. What's the most important thing to you? What's more important than anything? Did you know if you've got anything good in your life, God gave it to you? If you have anything good in your life, God gave it to you. The Bible says every good gift and every perfect of every came down from above, came down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, no shadow of turning. Whatever God gave it to you, can he have it back? Ouch. You got your life? Can you have it back? You got your health? You have your family? You have your job? You have your career? You have your success? Can you have it back? That's what he was asking of Abraham. Secondly, there was I love Abraham's, I call it strong obedience. Not just strong faith, because <clears throat> faith is, is what we believe. Obedience is our trust in action. Look at verse 3. And Abraham rose up days later. Is that what it says? No, the very next morning, he rose up early in the morning. And he saddled his ass, took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and he clave. He cut up the wood for the burnt offering, and he rose up and went into the place which God had told him. Then on the third day, notice, I, I can't imagine, that was a three-day journey. Abraham lifted up his eyes and he saw the place far off. So he didn't put off doing what God asked him to do. I would, have, I would have delayed. I would have said, Isaac, we need to go for lunch and then dinner and then breakfast and then lunch and just keep dragging it on. I don't want to lose my son. But he got up and he walked away from Sarah and home with his son Isaac. And he began a three-day journey. It doesn't describe it, but I bet they didn't talk much. I bet... Isaac might have talked, I mean, but Abraham probably couldn't find himself talking very much on that long journey. Does Abraham at this point know how it's going to turn out, yes or no? He does not, and neither do you when you're going through a trial. Now, verse 5 tells you it's just father and son from here on. Verse 5, Abraham said unto his young men, Abide ye here. So he tells those two men, sit here with the ass, and I and the lad will go to yonder and worship in the next four words or five words and come again to you. Just hold those thoughts for a second. So as Abraham gets close to this little hill called Moriah, he says to his servants, he says, I and the lad are going to go worship. And then he says something amazing there at the end of verse 5. He says, uh, we'll come again to you. Remember, Back there in Hebrews chapter 11, it says he accounted that God was able to raise him up even from the dead. As far as Abraham was concerned, Isaac's been dead for how many days? 
three days. As far as Abraham, his thinking, his, his emotions are Isaac's already gone. He gave him up the moment. He woke him up in the morning and says, we've got to go on a journey. And he says, and, and in his own heart, he says, you're dead now. So he's gone all this way over these three days, and he comes to this hill, and he's able to say to those, those two other men, he says, I and the lad will go worship, and we will come again to you. He believed that, okay, God, you want him back, but you're going to have to raise him up again. That's faith. You made a promise to me. You told me it was through this son. I can't figure it out, but I will believe it. That's a faith of a living sacrifice. It's just dad and his son. Now, this gets even crazier because it says, verse 6, he took the wood of the burnt offering and he laid it on who? He puts the wood on the back of his son. Wood, I'm trying to give you a picture here, on the back of his only son. I don't see you see any similarities yet, but a father and his only son are on a journey to a place of death. A promised son, supernaturally born, was going to have to die. The son was loved supremely by the father. They would travel three days together. Does it sound familiar to any other event in the Bible? I wonder. <laughs> Let's keep reading. Verse 7. Something's missing. Verse 7. And Isaac, now I like how, oh, I, oh, let me go back to verse 6 because I forgot to read this. He put the wood on his son and he took the fire in his hand and a what? And a knife. Was Abraham still hoping that nothing would happen? I'm not going to have to, no. He's not like we would be. We go, now, Lord, you're not going to mean this, are you? No, Abraham says, Lord, when you say something, you mean it. <laughs> so he takes the knife. And they went, both of them, and I like those words, together. I like that, together. But then in verse 7, Isaac speaking to Abraham, his father, and he says, uh, my father? And he said, here am I, my son. He said, hmm, I see the fire, behold the fire, and the wood. Hmm, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Verse 8, Abraham said one of the most amazing things that no human could have figured out. God was guiding even his own words. Abraham said, my son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. You know, he did not say that God would provide for himself a lamb. Some of the new Bibles try to help out the Bible there, and that's not what Abraham said. He said God would give himself as a lamb for the offering, not knowing how it would ever happen. So he kept on walking up that hill. You can imagine as, as he gets up to that hill and he creates this, this altar there, there's still no lamb. And Abraham prepared to do the unthinkable, verse 9. And they came to the place which God had told him of. And Abraham built an altar there, a very simple stone altar, and he laid the wood in order. And I like those words, in order, which means he carefully, and if you've ever built a fire, in your fireplace, you know you just can't throw some wood in and just light the fire. You need to lay it out there so air gets underneath so that it builds and so you can put the coal on top. It takes some time and attention to build a fire. And he's taking time. He's not angry at God. I mean, when you get frustrated with God, don't you find yourself kicking things? 
Don't you find yourself like, I don't want to put my heart into this? He's doing it carefully, methodically, patiently, believingly. Keep going there. Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order, and then he bound Isaac, his son, and then I can't, I can't understand how, but he picked him up and he laid him on the altar upon the wood. Verse 10. Abraham stretched forth his hand and he reached for that knife to slay his son. Imagine his son's eyes getting real big. I can't imagine what Abraham felt like. It was against his nature. It's against any normal human nature to do this. Animals get killed for food. And here, at a sacrifice, animals are killed for the sacrifice, but not people, especially not your own son. At no point does Abraham hesitate or stop. Abraham does not know that this is just a drill. I have a, a good friend who was in the U.S. Navy, and he was in a submarine. Actually, I know a few guys who lived in submarines, nuclear submarines. And all the years they were in the Navy and in, in that submarine, when they were on duty and when they were out in the ocean, three times a week, could be at day or night, they could be one right after the other, they could be separated by days, it didn't matter. But three times a week, they would go through a drill and the alarm would sound and whatever they were doing, they had within 60 seconds, they had to be at post, ready to go as if they were at war. Three times a week, they were drilled and drilled and drilled and they never knew it was a drill until at last they says, only a drill, you may go back to your duties or whatever. Abraham has no idea that this is just a drill. This is just a test. And he's preparing to do the unthinkable. Look at how Isaac, I mean, I, Isaac's laying on the altar. Dad's got a knife. There's, there's just only a few seconds away from the end. Think about Isaac. <laughs> he didn't argue. You know he wasn't a teenager. He didn't try to run away. He just laid there on that altar. I see absolute surrender, true surrender, where he is trusting Dad and he's trusting God. Let me open up some more similarities here because you'll see this sacrifice was being offered on a hill in the land of what's called Moriah. And I'll give you a little bit of news He's actually being sacrificed on the very outskirts of the city of Jerusalem before Jerusalem was ever there. Before the Jebusites ever started to make that place a village or a town that would later become Jerusalem, there was a little hill there, and God said, I want it right here, Abraham. Build the altar right here. And it would be 2,000 years later when Jesus would be crucified on a cross in a hole that was in the exact same spot that Isaac had been brought to. So this is a tale of more than just one son. Both sons carried the wood for their own sacrifice. Did not Christ carry his cross? Now half of it was carried by a man from Cyprus. Both willingly allowed themselves to be offered as a sacrifice. Both were bound and placed on the top of that wooded altar. 
when Jesus was, was, was sacrificed, did he fight and resist? Or did he lay out both hands and allow them to nail him and secure him to that cross? Just as Isaac put his hands forth and says, Daddy, I don't know what you're doing, but I'm trusting you. Both were effectively dead for three days. And both sons get resurrected or given back to their fathers on the third day. So the truth is this, how Isaac reacted is how Jesus would react. But it also is going to be an encouragement about how we react as living sacrifices. Was Isaac sacrificed, yes or no? No. So his event that he went through is not about his death. It's about a coming death where God himself would be the lamb but our living sacrifice now. So watch this. This was not the end. Look in verse 11. The angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. I believe it wasn't a whisper. Do you think so? <laughs> I think, wow, Abraham's ready to go. And the angel of the Lord calls out, and I believe he says, here am I. He hasn't breathed for at least two minutes, man. Here am I. God said, Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. Abraham lifted up his eyes, and he looked, and behold, behind him was a ram. Now a ram was a male lamb, caught in a thicket by his thorns. Abraham went and gladly took that ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. Instead of his son dying, his son was taken off that altar and a ram was put on that altar and sacrificed. Verse 14, and Abraham, whoo, he's got a name for that place. Watch what he calls it. Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah Jireh. You ought to remember that name. That's a good, good name. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it shall be seen. What will be seen? God's provision instead of us. Instead of Isaac, there'll be another lamb. Behold the lamb of God, which can take away the sin of the whole world. Jehovah Jireh is appointing to the coming of the Messiah. It would be that God would provide for our sin. So this was not the end. Keep going, verse 15. And the angel of the Lord called unto Abraham out of heaven the second time and said, By myself have I sworn, I have so solemnly promised, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing and hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven, just like I promised, and as the sand which is upon the seashore, and thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned unto to his young man, and they rose up and went together back to Beersheba, and Abraham dwelt in Beersheba. You know, God says, you know, I know something here, and you fear me more than anything. You worry about me. You love me more than your own son. You believe my promises no matter what you may face. 
And now I know your faith is real through and through, and more importantly, the whole world knows it. Because when I, when I tested you, you came through. Now, you and I may think that this was cruel, that it was unnecessary, but it was absolutely necessary because this is one of the 10 most important events in the Bible that are the hinge upon everything else in the Bible. If this did not happen, we would have no illustration of Jesus, the Lamb of God, who when the Father gave His only begotten Son, that we would say, well, this is unusual. No, it's not unusual. Because Genesis 22 is one of the most beautiful passages in the Bible, shadowing, being an example of God the Father, offering His only begotten Son, but not stopping when it came time for death. What did Jesus say to His disciples? He says, don't you know that I could call my Father and He would send 12 legions of angels? But I'm not going to do it. Why, else? Why did I not come? I came to do this. God provided that ram. A swath was placed. This is a kind of a substitution that's going to happen throughout the Bible. You know about it when, when uh, Israel ends up in Egypt, and there was coming the wrath of God on Egypt and the judgment of God, and God said, if you'll take the blood of a lamb and strike it on the outside doorposts of your house, I will pass over you. Remember that? A substitute will die in the place of the firstborn son. And then when Jesus would be the final lamb. Now, I don't know if you noticed it, but Isaac got up again. It was as if he had died and was alive again. And the promise goes on. So whatever God promises, will he keep his promise even if something dies? Amen. So let's make the application here because chapter 22 is one of those wonderful picture albums full of illustrations and pictures and descriptions of Abraham and his son illustrating God and his son. Don't ever forget that like Abraham had all of those emotions. Where did Abraham get those emotions from? From God. So you say, well, it must have been easy for Jesus to die. It must have been easy for God to give up his son. Not on your life. So what we experience what we, through the eyes of Abraham gives us a sense of what God went through when he gave his son. We see a picture how that altar shows the cost of worship and the cost of sin and worship is loss and death. What does Jesus say? If any man wants to win in my kingdom, you're going to have to lose. And who, he who would want to have his life is going to have to lose it. So that altar shows there has to be a willingness to go to it and be willing to die. Third, faith and trust in God's promises can overrule confusion and fear and all the unknown. That's cool. We see in Genesis 22 the power and the reality of the resurrection. I mean, God didn't have to resurrect Isaac for Abraham to feel like, so this is how it feels to have somebody alive from the dead. But this all gives us a picture of the need for us to have our own altar of sacrifice like Isaac did and to use it regularly. <laughs> I found this picture. I thought it was really cute. Now, I don't know what he's doing. 
But if you can imagine finding you a place, whether at home or maybe out in a field somewhere where nobody else is looking, but you lay your life down and you say, Lord, I hope I don't have to die in, in following you, but my life is yours. What is important to me, if you want it back, it's yours. I lay my life down on that altar. You see, God asks of us to experience the very same altar that Isaac got on and got off of, to be a living sacrifice. Romans 12:1 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. From that moment on, there was a, a, a ram on that altar being sacrificed for worship to a holy God, and Abraham is able to say to his son, now let's live right. Amen? We've been given another chance. Isaac, God has provided so you and I don't have to lose anything of value. We've already lost it all, and we've been given the gift of eternal life. So let me show you what a living sacrifice lives like. Very simply, and we're done. Number one, you trust the Lord with all your heart. To be a living sacrifice means you don't understand all things. Isn't that what Proverbs 3, 5 says? Trust in the Lord with all thy heart. Lean not on thy own understanding. Did Abraham understand what God was doing? No. Did Isaac understand what Abraham was doing? No. But they trusted the Lord with all their heart. Daily dying to ourself and our nature is the hardest thing that you will do. Do you know it's easier just to quit and die than to actually change? Did you hear what I said? It would be easier for us to just die, walk away, than for you to have to change. We want our situation to change, don't we? We want the pressure off. We want the, 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 the bully in our life to go away. We want the enemy to leave us alone. We want our thoughts to not haunt us. We want everything to be fixed. And the Lord says, no, I'm trying to change you. So we find ourselves, I wish I could just die. And the Lord says, don't do it. Be a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice dies to yourself and to your nature. Take it to uh, Galatians 2.20. You can leave your place here. We're finished. Uh, Galatians 2.20. To die to yourself means resisting any urge to quit. If you have a nature that just likes to quit, repent of it and say, no more. I'm going to fight the urge to quit because I want to be a living sacrifice. Galatians 2.20. Galatians 2.20. And I know the new Bible say I was, but you weren't. The truth is, I am crucified with Christ. That's how you're supposed to live. Crucified, is that a good way to live or hard way? Painful way. I live now crucified with Christ. I identify and relate to and appreciate and love what happened at the cross. I, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, that death didn't kill me. I live. Yet not I anymore, but who's living in me? Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in this flesh, I don't even live by my own faith. I live by the faith of the Son of God, who is a good God, who loved me and gave himself for me. 1 Corinthians 15, back to the left, 
1 Corinthians 15, in verse 31, Paul was constantly around the new prosperity preachers of his day who said that bad things don't happen to good people. He was constantly uh, uh, mocked by people who would come into churches after he had worked so hard preaching the cross to them, and they would come and they would preach about, you know, the happy life and the, 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 the no-sorrow life and the, and the wealthy and, and just be filled with the Spirit and there's joy and there's no sorrow, da 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 1 Corinthians 15, um, yeah, verse 31. I protest by your rejoicings which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. Now, in reality, he faced death every day physically. But you know what he did in his heart? He got up every morning and he said, I better get on that altar. I better, I better go quickly die before, before um, uh, Timothy wakes up and gives out to me for not having breakfast ready. <laughs> I, better, I better die to my needs and my wants and my demands so I can find out what God wants today. It's a daily decision to die. Third, a living sacrifice is one where you live each day new. If you carry yesterday or last year or 20 years ago, if you carry that into today, you're not a living sacrifice. You're living then, not now. And the Bible says that we have a life to live today. We have a life that is to be lived new Every day, God's mercies are new every day. Can you not enjoy them? A living sacrifice is not dead, he's not defeated, but he's alive, he's full of hope, and he's full of second chances. You're living like Isaac did after his altar. <laughs> Next thing, a living sacrifice is willing to do whatever God asks of us each day. If, he, if Isaac was willing to let his dad tie him up and then lift him up on the altar and allow him to bring that knife to his throat, was not Isaac able to trust God for a wife? He was, wasn't he? Isaac had been put so close to the edge that everything else was easy. So if you're going to be a living sacrifice, you're going to have to take those times where you were just nearly broken, where everything was a disaster, and say, wait a minute, God got me through. I'm, I'm, if God wants me to go through anything, I'm just going to trust Him and let Him do it, let Him bring me through it. That's a living sacrifice, doing whatever's hardest. Calmly, fully trusting in a good God. I find that hard. I'm not always calm. I don't always find it easy just to trust God. But if, if I want to be a living sacrifice like Isaac, i got to chill out, not panic about everything. <laughs> the car won't start. Oh, I hate Toyota. Come on. Don't panic. Whatever's hard, trust in a good God. That means living holy and godly with your body. I beseech you, therefore, therefore, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, because it's your reasonable service. If you're going to live a sacrificial life, you're going to have to do without what everybody else is doing. 
You're going to have to say, I'm not going down that road. I'm not going to that, that pub. I'm not going and listen to that music. I'm not going and because I have a body that belongs now to Jesus Christ. The life which I live is not me living anymore. These hands are his to do as he's pleased. These eyes, this mouth, this tongue, these, this heart is his to love and to live. That's a living sacrifice. You say, well, I may lose some friends. That's a sacrifice. I may lose my job. That's a sacrifice. Now, you got to be willing to live and even die as we follow Christ. Paul says in Philippians 2.17, Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. You know what he's saying? If I die while trying to help you, I'm excited. 1 John 3.16 says, Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. That's a living sacrifice that says, you know what? I'm living it. If need be, I'll die it too. I'll stay faithful all the way to the end. Here's the invitation. Today you have been tested. I've asked you what is the most important thing to you. And then I've asked you to consider, can God have it back? Because I found that whenever I have given him whatever he's asked of me, that's why I try to give him everything. Whenever I've given him whatever he's asked of me, he always gives it back to me better. That's crazy. If you hold on to your kids and won't let them find God's will for their life, you hold on to your husband and says, don't you ever become a missionary. If you hold on to your money and you say, no, I'm not going to give this. Uh, if you hold on to your time, whatever you hold on to, it will rot in your hands. But when you give it to him, it always comes back to you. It always just comes back to you better than it was when you left it and you lost it. Believing the resurrection is hard. It was hard for Abraham, but it is the only way to have hope when nothing else makes sense. And if Jesus rose from the dead, then we which we leave also have a new life. Colossians 3 says, If you then be risen with Christ, resurrected, seek the things that are above. Seek those things. Romans 12, 1 is possible to live every day. How quick are you to obey God's word? I mean, whatever God says, do. Isn't that what the Bible says? Be ye doers of the word. Hmm. If your heavenly father woke you up tomorrow morning and says, we need to go on a journey, would you be like Isaac and say, yes, sir, amen? How quick are you to obey? Are you willing to follow Christ even alone? What, if, well, what, what about this? What, aren't you glad Sarah didn't go with Abraham and Isaac? <laughs> there would have been a fight. Unbelievable. Sometimes God takes you on a journey because nobody else can understand what you're going through. Amen. Just remember, God won't leave you. Are you willing to follow Christ alone? There is an altar for every believer in this room. There's an altar that you must climb onto and die daily. But instead of actually dying, he wants you to be a living sacrifice from now on. I'll just say this, if you've not been born again, God has provided a lamb in your place, taking, that, taking your place on the cross, 
when you should die, when you should be judged, and you should face the wrath of Almighty God because of your sinful record. But he got on the cross and let you go free. You're going to live like that didn't matter? I would take the lamb. I would thank him for the lamb. I would believe that he loved you more than he loved anything else. He loved you. So stand with me and let's bow in prayer. With every head bowed and every eye closed. Born again, what a, what a great thought. It is new life from the dead. Your old life, you're the living, walking dead that's going to end up in a grave where worms will eat your body and your soul will burn for eternity in hell. You say, that's serious. Yes, it's serious. We don't have church for fun. We have church to warn, to plead, and to say, please, don't go that way. Because Jesus is the way to eternal life. There's no second doors. There's no back doors. You're going to need him. And you need him right now. Dear friend, if you've not been saved, if you've never once believed with all your heart that Jesus did it all for you and cried out to him and says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, and save a wretch like me, believe me, today's your good day to do it. Because he invites you now. And Christian, there's an altar for you. There's an altar there. You probably won't have to die on it, but a lot of things will. And you'll never be the same if you'll get on that altar every day. If you'll practice that and say, Lord, I'm frustrated, I'm upset, things aren't working right, but I will call on to that altar and I'll let you have whatever I'm holding on to. If I could just experience the power of the resurrection, it'll be worth it all. Certainly, Father, with our eyes closed and our heads bowed, we ask you to do something in the hearts of every hearer this morning. May everyone make a decision that we would not fear that altar of sacrifice, that we would not run away from being living sacrifices and just instead say, Lord, you win. Why would I think I could figure a better way? Lord, I pray that we would Take it seriously that the resurrection of Christ is the fulfillment of everything leading up from the Old Testament through. May we not ever forget there's a lot to that. You've been trying forever to try to get our heart and our attention. I pray you got it today. And that we would never be the same. So Lord, work on some hearts, every heart please. In Jesus' name, amen.